The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Nikki Shields. And I'm Chad Douglas. This is episode 12, Anxiety Unplugged. Before we get into our episode, we uh, we, <laughs> uh, we have a little uh, thing we want to bring up. We talked a couple episodes, Nikki. Um, we joked, actually, about you not liking ice skating. And you uh-huh. even said in that episode, I'm not joking. I don't like ice skating because I fall down and hurt myself. It's what true. happened? What did you do? So we, we, uh, it snowed recently yes. in our area and, uh, we took the kids sledding at mm-hmm. my grandma's and we, we didn't ice skate. I'll, I'll be clear. We did not okay. actually ice skate, but, um, I can add another sport to the, to the <laughs> list of sports that I don't enjoy because I get hurt and that is sledding. Oh, but sledding so much fun. Well, it was, it was for a minute. And I was watching the kids and I was thinking, gosh, what could happen? I mean, I'm just going to go down one time. I'm going to sit on that disc and I'm going to go down the hill and I'm just going to have fun and, and be just like the kids. And I was going down that hill really fast. And I I guess 40 years ago, it seemed different in my head. But anyway, yeah. I was going too fast and I put my hands down to stop myself and I broke my finger. Broke your finger and an important yeah. finger too. It's like your index yeah. finger. So, yeah, you know, so you kind of need to pipe yeah. and do things. Yeah, and, and to point at people and and correct their behavior. <laughs> and in the same episode, we joked about deductibles starting over in the first of the year. So congratulations, you get your deductible met early on in twenty twenty two. See, see I, I achieve my goals. Right. <laughs> Stay quickly. There you go. <laughs> check, check, check. But no uh, more sledding for me. <laughs> um, okay, back to our episode: anxiety unplugs. Technology is everywhere these days. You cannot get away from it. Um, even though sometimes it's good. And so we're going to talk about what that does to your anxiety levels, whether you have extra anxiety or a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder or anything else, just everyone in general probably spends a little too much time on this stuff. So what kind of effect can social media, um, any kind of media, television, news, radio, what kind of effect can that have on your well-being? It can have good effect. It can have a bad effect. It can have any kind of effect at all. And and that's kind of the most important part. And one of the big things I want to bring up as we talk about this is we have a little more control over what kind of an effect it has on us than we think we do. And so um, I want to give some examples. Okay, We are a very distracted society. Um, you know, right now I've got two or three different screens looking mm-hmm. at me. Um, lots of things going on. We're recording, but then there's emails coming in and then you know, phone is going off. Um, TV over in the background. There's there's screens all the time. We have constant information coming in all the time. And it comes in so quickly that we're not really monitoring the impact as it's happening. So maybe I'm sitting at my desk and I'm working, but I'm also listening to the news and I'm hearing this terrible story, something that took place in another country. And I'm listening and thinking how terrible that thing is that just happened. And I'm not aware of how that 
thought and the, the thoughts about that event might be impacting me because I'm also focusing on something else in the moment. So then it, it, that's just one couple of second window. And mm-hmm. if you think about that happening all day long, by the time we get home from work or school or whatever we've been doing, we're exhausted because mm-hmm. we've just been taking in information all day. We've been consuming things like that all day long. So Chad, give me an example of something that you, you know, read on social media, heard, saw, you know, read an email about. Oh man, when you read on social media, sometimes depends on my mood, makes me laugh. And sometimes it makes me infuriated at some of the comments and they'll be the same comments. Like I could read them one time at night and they make me laugh the next morning. They just make me so mad. So you could, you could take really anything that's going on right now on social media and get get negative comments. It's such a good point because it can be, you know, your mood going into it determines how you interpret it. And Mm -hmm. then that, that affects the next series of events that take place throughout your day. The idea being that this stuff is coming in all the time and we're not really monitoring it. We're not thinking about it. So let's take a, a child on a typical school day. Okay. And think about all the different things that they're taking in. So they're they're taking in the information from their teacher. They're, they've got smart boards. They've got their laptops. They've got their phones. They've got their friends. Any number of different sources. They're, they're reading. Probably they're reading books too. They're at mm-hmm, school. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a part of it. But they're taking in all this information. And it's going into their brain rapidly. And so they're not really deciding what gets stored away and what gets kind of discarded. Um, because what we've talked about with kids is that they're not not really able to kind of sort that all out that quickly. Those That part of their brain that holds on to information and makes sense of it develops between the ages of four and 25. And so um, it's all just kind of going in there. And some of it's probably getting filed away because it's about things they understand, but some of it's just kind of floating around. And for kids with anxiety, that can kind of resurface later. Mm. Um, I remember being uh, you know, an anxious kid, but I was, I was a reader. I always, I loved to read and I was always reading books that were maybe a little bit ahead of my grade level. And I, I had a period of time where I was just upset all the time and um, crying a lot and just, you know, just kind of out of the ordinary for me. And we realized, well, mom, I was too young to put all this together, but my mom realized that what I was reading was over my head, that I emotionally wasn't ready for the wasn't content. Okay. Academically, I could keep up and I knew the words and I was processing it, but I but I couldn't make sense of the emotional stuff because I wasn't there yet. And um, and so that's that's just one example of how, you know, what you take in can impact you. But as kids, they don't really know that it's happening. And it, it takes an adult to be aware of what they're being exposed to to help them process all of those things. That's an interesting point. I'll, I'll just chime in because I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of my podcasts that I listen to are true crime. And I was getting on a kick last summer when I would, you know, it was nice and I'd go for nice long walks or bike rides and I would listen to all these true crime podcasts. I'm, you know, biking near the woods or whatever. And I'm like, man, well, this would be a good place to hide a body. And I'm suddenly like, wait a minute, that's not right. I shouldn't be having these thoughts. <laughs> what is so, happening? <laughs> yeah. So I took a break and I started listening to, to some happier things. It gave me some mm-hmm. happier things. And now I kind of go, okay, I can listen to X amount of true crime podcasts before I need to get a little joy in my life. So that makes sense. Yeah. And so you, you as an adult recognize the impact and you were able to set a limit or a parameter that helped you to better regulate that. The average kid does not have the ability to do that. And I I actually just thought of another example from my own life. I I read this author and I won't mention her name, but wonderful writer, just well-known, wonderful writer, loved her work. I get so depressed when I'm reading her books. Hmm. They're, they're just, they're dark and they're heavy and it's, it's just too much, but the words make me happy because it's just so beautifully written, but the Mm -hmm concepts and the content um, just drain me. And it was probably three of her books before I realized, whoa, that's that's not me. That's what I'm consuming right now. That's what I'm taking in. And so, but again, as an adult, it took me that long to figure it out, right? So imagine these kids who are being exposed to goodness knows what on their TikTok feeds, 
they don't have the ability to regulate that. They don't know that whatever they're watching might be making them crabby or irritable or anxious or sad or mad. They just, they can't do that yet. And it's, it's going to be several years before they can. And this brings up a really tough point, which is it's hard for us as parents to manage that. You know, I'm not sitting next to my kid every time they watch a different video. I'm not having a conversation with them about everything that they see or hear. And yet it's my job to kind of help filter that. So that can feel kind of impossible for parents. So what do you do when the, when your child does come, come to you and and says something that they've learned off of TikTok or something like that, that's going to take you off guard of like, Hey dad, what's blank. And you're like, how do you know about that? You know, you don't want to overreact. Right. Again, again, <laughs> <laughs> again. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I think there's there's a lot of possible answers. You know, freaking out is is definitely not the best choice. But um, just calmly asking, well, tell me more. Why? I wonder where that question came from. And and this is one of my favorite tricks. And and whenever I remember to use it, I'm always just so delighted with the response. But it's taking their question and turning it back into a question to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So like, oh well, what makes you want to know more about that? Well, what do you think that is? You know, what what does that mean to you? Those kinds of things can tell you a lot more about their comprehension level, where they are, um, and also like where they were exposed to whatever the thing is that they're asking about. And and that's actually best case scenario. If your kids are coming to you and asking, what does this mean? What is that? That's wonderful. You win, right? The problem is they're not always doing that. They're just right. sort of taking in the information and then assuming they know and kind of going around like, I got this figured out, but they don't even know to ask questions about it. And that's very concerning. So then as a parent, yay, you win if they come talk to you. What do you need to look for if they don't come talk to you? Because they're still consuming that kind of stuff. Yes. Excellent question. So what you look for is is patterns, changes in, in behavior patterns over time. And so, you know, if you are fairly in tune with what's going on with your kid, you're going to notice if they're suddenly crabbier. You're going to notice if they're suddenly a little bit more withdrawn or spending more time in their room. You're going to notice if they're more irritable or aggressive. Um, But it's, even though you might notice it over time, not all of us are thinking that way. We might just notice in the moment, oh, you're so crabby today. What's the deal? Mm -hmm. So I would challenge you to, to think backwards and go, you know, is this just a isolated thing that just happened today or has that been going on for a while? And so essentially you just kind of be a pattern searcher. And if you're noticing a, a change that seems to be lingering, kind of track backwards. I know that we saw some significant pattern changes in, in mood and behavior and reactivity after we um, introduced Snapchat, after hmm. we, you know, our, our 13 year old was, she got a phone and we gradually introduced, um, Snapchat and, and other things. And, and we saw some changes. And so once, once we were fairly clear what the changes were, and what they were connected to, then we were able to have some conversations about it and set some more parameters and that kind of thing. But it's tough because kids will tell you it's, that's not affecting me like that. That's not yeah. bothering me. That's not hurting me. I'm just fine. It has nothing to do with that because they don't know yet. And then, and so then we have to be the bad guy and that's hard. Yeah. That's like the number one job of the parents, right? Sometimes to be the bad guy. So you mentioned social media and, and phones and stuff, and I think we're, we're far enough away, uh, far enough into the new year to go. A lot of kids probably got devices at Christmas. Maybe they've been introduced to, to social media. So the million dollar question, Nikki, at what age is a good age to introduce a child to social media? So the answer to that is there's no right age. Mm, it depends entirely on... I I would say two big factors. One, the readiness of the child Mm -hmm. and your readiness to take the difficult step of managing and being aware of and having tough conversations when needed. So it's just basically when you and your child are both ready for that new level 
of life stuff, then you can introduce it. But um, we had mentioned this in a previous episode about technology, having a, a kind of a behavior agreement or a contract about how devices will be used is a really good way to start out. You know, mm-hmm. just just having on paper in black and white, here are the rules and here are the consequences when we don't follow those rules. And, you know, you, you got to keep in mind with kids that if you set some rules and then they're breaking them and then they're breaking them again and then they're breaking them again after like the second time, it's it's no longer the kid's fault. <laughs> it's it's on us at that yeah. point because no, it's that's... time to go, OK, they weren't ready and that's yeah. my bad. And so now how can we, you know, teach the skill and kind of get them back to a place where we can try again? Um, Because it's a lot of parents, they'll be like, oh, well, you broke the rule. So you're done with devices till you're 30. Well, okay, (laughs) great. But at some point before they're 30, they're absolutely going to be re-exposed to these things and they need to have some skills. And so whenever there's a violation of a social media rule, a device rule, it's, it's taking it back to skill building. How do we, how do we help them learn kind of that internal sense of, nope, that's not the right thing for me. I need to do better. And that's hard. Yeah. We did that with my son with a contract and I, I think we got him his phone in October and he has lost it for a night one time mm-hmm. um, and learned a lesson from it. And we've pulled the contract out one time and went, remember this, he's done yeah. insanely well with that's it. And awesome. I'm very, I'm very proud of him for for that. And, and contracts do work. You know, if your kids have a basic sense of, you know, there are rules and I have to follow them and, you know, they're, they're generally respectful of those kinds of things. A contract is a wonderful way to help kind of keep, keep, have them have more control over it, have them feel like, Hey, I know what's expected of me and I can meet that. Mm-hmm. If your kids are a little bit more on the oppositional side or maybe aren't, aren't one to comply with rules in general, a contract probably isn't going to be any different than rules in general. And then that's a different conversation um, for knowing if they're ready or not. So what do you do if you have, whether it's for the, the phone or a tablet or social media and you say yes, and then it doesn't work out, what's the conversation like from the parent's perspective to go, we gave you Snapchat, but we're going to delete your account and take it away. So it's it's hard because I've been there. Um, and <laughs> part of it is is making sure you stay in the green, keep your kid in the green. If they're mm. not, it's not time to have the conversation. When you discover the um, the offense, so to speak, the thing that, that is not okay, is not the time probably to address it. it. Everybody needs to get back to square one and then you can, then you can talk about it. Um, but it's, the conversation is, is not so much you did wrong, you know, bad, bad on you. It's you weren't ready. And we know that now, and that's no big deal because we'll work together and you'll be ready again soon. And you just kind of reframe it as, Hey, it takes practice. It takes practice to get really good at managing these kinds of things. This is a big responsibility and lots of kids have a hard time, you know? So you just sort of reframe it now. I mean, that all sounded nice. And I, yeah, <laughs> I would love to tell you that I handled it that gracefully that when it occurred in our house, but, um, no, <laughs> it, it is really tough. But if you try to keep that as a framework in mind and just realize that no amount of anger is going to teach your child to respect the, the boundaries of social media and whatnot, uh, that, you know, then you can get back to it later. The other thing, when you're, when we're talking about a little bit older kids and things like this, where they might break a rule or they might, you know, watch something they're not supposed to, or download something they're not supposed to, whatever the, whatever the offense might be. We don't have to have an immediate answer. There does not have to be an immediate response. When kids are really little and they break a rule, they do something, you kind of want you to, you, you want to have an immediate quick response mm-hmm. that says, this is not okay. It's not what we do. But as they get older, you can say, you know what? That wasn't all right. And I'm not sure how we're going to handle it, but I'll get back to you. And, you know, it's, it's okay to think on it. It's okay to sit down with your significant other, you know, co-parent and say, all right, 
what are we going to do? And, and give it a day or two. It's also okay to enlist your child in that mm -hmm. conversation too. Hey, listen, so a rule is broken. What do you think would help you be ready next time? It doesn't have to be about, I know we, we like hinted at it talking about discipline in a future episode. So I, I kind of accidentally jumped into that, but <laughs> um, it, it doesn't have to be about discipline. It can be about education. It can be yes. about practice. It can be about skills. And working together mm -hmm. and problem solving. Absolutely. Nikki, with social media and everything growing in technology so much and anxiety being more now of some of the language we use in everyday, do you think it's because social media and other forms of media have risen the cases of anxiety or just more people are recognizing it as an issue? Well, that that is a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I definitely think that, that social media has brought so much stuff to the surface and then kind of just puts it in your face over and over mm. and over again. And you're, you're sort of exposed to things that you don't necessarily need to know or think about on a daily basis. And yet there you are scrolling, right? So here's an example of, of that. So if you remember back to episode one, I was talking a little bit about my own childhood anxiety, which was fairly rooted in being sick. Right. Right. Um, right. and so one of the first things that, that I noticed about Facebook is that everybody posted when they, or their family members had the stomach flu. And so like every time I would see a post yeah. about somebody being sick, like I was, I was thrown right into like a fight or flight response because, oh my gosh, I was around them yesterday. Or what if I was too close to them? And, you know, so it, it, I didn't need that. I didn't need to know that. I didn't need to have that in my face. It was like unnecessary anxiety. And so I think social media, and that's so small scale, that's just one little thing. But I think social media has has given us access to stuff that we, that's not our business. It's stuff mm -hmm. we don't need to have in our faces all day long. And, and I think it's made things like COVID and, you know, recent political issues all much more front and center for people that might otherwise not pay that much attention to those things. And so if we take that back down to like kids with anxiety, let's say you hand a nine-year-old a phone and they're scrolling through some kind of social media, they're being exposed to stuff that they are not needing at all. Like that, that they don't, have, they're not equipped to process mm -hmm. it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't help them in any way. And yet it's right there in their face and they don't have the internal mental structure to go, mm, I don't need that. You know, move on, move on. They're soaking it in. Yeah. And your brain's processing it, but mm -hmm. yeah, they just don't have the emotional capability to, to handle it. Mm -hmm. Do you think social media can cause people to have anxiety then? I mean, I, I, I think anything's possible. I, I think if, if you ha have a predisposition to being more of a worrier, maybe you haven't experienced it yet or hasn't surfaced yet, but if you're thrown into social media without structure, without skills, um, certainly it could it could trigger some panic or, or trigger some episodes. Um, we see uh, something along those lines with teenagers where maybe they hadn't shown any signs of anxiety, but now they're excessively worried about who's liking their posts and who was tagged with who and, and whatever. And so that can definitely bring anxiety to the forefront. My guess is that that wouldn't necessarily be a a cause kind of thing that mm -hmm. there's probably other factors that that put that there, but um, the social media certainly didn't make it better. Okay. I also feel the need to say sometimes social media is great. You can mm -hmm. go on and see funny things that make you laugh. You see, you know, former classmates, kids are graduating or cute preschool kids or somebody had a baby or um, even, even though it's not fun, but you get life updates too mm -hmm. uh, from folks to where it's just like you, you just feel connected. So I, I, I don't want to come across as like bashing social media because I, I do think there's a place for it in the society, mm -hmm. but it's a matter of how you consume it and what you do with it. 
Yep. Yep. And, and you said it perfectly. There's so much I love about it. I, I've got a couple people that I, I follow them because their vacations are amazing and they post such <laughs> beautiful pictures and, and I, you know, I, I want them to send me their itinerary so I can take that exact same trip, you know? So there's a lot of really great things. I love to, to follow groups that talk about books and other things that I'm interested in. So there's great things that can happen, but it's, it's realizing that, you know, you have to take some control over what's in your social media feeds. Kids need to learn that skill sooner than later uh, mm. because there's no sense in letting it take you down and make you feel really bad. So I'm going to use something from our last episode where we talked about, you know, how you know if you should push your child or rescue them or, or kind of back off, you know, um, it comes down to if your child has the skills and the support, then they're probably, you know, ready for a little bit of pushing, right? Same with social media. If you have the skills and the support, you can probably handle it a lot better. And so when you're thinking about things like what your kids are exposed to or what kind of privileges they have on on their devices, thinking about what skills they have. Do they have the ability to know right from wrong? Do they have the ability to to hear someone use a foul language and know that they can't go to school and say those things? Can they play a video game and understand that even though they might be shooting someone in the game, it is not okay to shoot someone in real life? Like if they have that ability to sort of differentiate between reality and what they're seeing on their screen, okay, maybe they're ready. You know, if they then step two is the support you keeping an eye on them, you checking in with them, asking them, what was your favorite video that you saw today? What's a video you saw that kind of stressed you out, you know, and, and that's actually a good line of questioning. If you're wondering what kind of things your kids are watching and if it's affecting their mood or behavior, don't, don't do what I did and say, I think all that stupid TikTok is making you, you know, more irritable and, and, and angry. Don't do that. They, they don't respond well to that. Okay. Um, but if you go with, well, tell me about, you know, a TikTok today that you saw that made you laugh. Tell me about um, a YouTube video that, that made you feel kind of stressed while you were watching it. Tell me about something that made you worry after it was over. Asking questions about, in general, about the content. Sometimes they'll give you pretty good information. And then you kind of let them draw their own conclusions and, and then keep those, those supports in place. I'm writing that down. Do not say that. Okay. Got that on my <laughs> notes here. <laughs> um, you, one other thing I, I'm, I'm going to say about social media, and we don't have to get into it uh, a lot, but then we'll move on to other things. Is just, you know, you, you've heard it from a billion other people that bullying, and when we were younger, it was like you got bullied on the on the schoolyard, or the bus, and then you went home and you were free. You're not free anymore because that thing is with you everywhere you go if you allow it to be. So, set limits. Even, I mean, we talked to in in the technology bonus episode about you can get on and and as a parent stop it at bedtime and it doesn't, it doesn't operate overnight. So while you're sleeping, they're not secretly on there on some of the, the things. And again, in the national news, you know, Instagram kind of takes a beating for it's, it's almost, and I'm going to use air quotes, even though you can't see a, a podcast, almost proven that it's bad for mm -hmm. mental health for teenagers because it makes them feel so bad because everyone looks so Instagram fabulous mm -hmm. and it's just not yeah. real life. I, I just wanted to echo kind of your thought there that, you know, we, we do need to kind of put parameters in place. Kids should not have their devices all night long. They should not have access to that kind of stuff when they should be sleeping. And that's a very easy thing to control if mm -hmm. you start out from the get-go with like, here are the time frames. Here's yeah. when you can have access to your device. It should be in your room at night. Um, it, it just goes better. I know that isn't always feasible. Sometimes kids are using those as their alarm clocks and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to discuss that as a family, but you're absolutely right. Um, but again, teaching your kids the joys of social media is mm -hmm. important too. helping them to identify the ways in which it helps them start that early. 
Um, and, and that would be probably all I'd have to say about social media as well. Okay. So let's move on to other forms of media and we'll stick with the devices, but I'm thinking of some of the streaming services that you have. Um, right off the top of my head, Netflix comes to where you can set up profiles of you know mom, dad, kids. Um, mm-hmm. Hulu does not, to my knowledge. Um, Disney Plus, which is pretty clean and, and family friendly, but mm-hmm. Netflix, not so much. So I'm glad they have the profiles. Um and I'll throw in one more Oculus because we got one of those right after Christmas. You can't because it's connected to Facebook and there's only one profile and there's things on Oculus that dad wants to do that I don't want the kids to do, but I can't do that. So mm-hmm. bad on you, Oculus. Fix that. <laughs> but movies and such, TV shows, uh, documentaries, even things that we just consume on a daily basis, the news that has bad news, what kind of effect can that have on a kid with anxiety? So much. And it it depends on your kid, right? So if you've got a child who's predisposed to anxiety and you're seeing that in other places, you better bet that what they're seeing on the television, regardless of what source it's coming from, is impacting them in some ways. And it might be that they're watching something that's above their you know, their grade level, their understanding level, their emotional capacity. It might be, you know, like the, the nightly news can be pretty stressful, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, for kids who, who again, don't have that ability to go, oh, that doesn't affect me directly. You know, I can set that aside. Uh, and so kids predisposed to anxiety definitely need like a little bit of help gauging what's appropriate. You mentioned, you know, Netflix can set up like the age appropriate. I don't think we've ever run into an issue with the kid profiles on Netflix where kids were watching something they shouldn't have been. Yeah, you same. Know, the, the only hitch I would say is that sometimes kids will go in and change the age rating. Maybe there's a show they're trying to get to. So they've learned how to change the settings so sure. they can access, you know, but that's, that's a conversation. That's, that's not really a, a big deal, but I do love that they break that down and, and nothing with Disney has ever caused a whole lot of thing, but, or a whole lot of concern, sorry. But the, uh, but the point you make that even age appropriate things can cause anxiety. If you've got a child who's, you know, hyper-focused on a certain part or is taking it, you know, if lots of movies, think about Disney movies, like mm-hmm. a lot of parents die. In a Disney lot. Movies, yes. Right. That's usually the, the big opening sequence of the really <laughs> big Disney stories. And so um, if you've got a child who's struggling with grief or struggles with anxiety or fear of losing a parent, those can be very triggering. Mm-hmm. And so just because it's age rated for your child doesn't mean that they're emotionally able to handle that. Um, and, and it goes back to the skills and the support that I keep talking about. If if they have the ability to go, oh, that's making me feel sad. And they've got the support of you to be like, oh, I noticed when you watch that, it really affected you. It, it's less likely to have a negative impact. And I, I saw a guideline somewhere that was, you know, if your kids are watching it, you should be too. And yes. I don't know what age that goes up to because I promise there's some stuff my 13-year-old watches that I don't really want to watch. But um, but we should we should know. We should see what they're seeing and we should be watching it with them because then we can catch the stuff as it's happening and we don't have to wait till later to find out, hey, you know, that show you watched really made you anxious. One resource that I found that I've used actually quite often is commonsensemedia.org, and it will give you a a synopsis of whatever movie, music, TV show you want, but then there's also parent reviews and child reviews. So you can go on and kind of go, okay, Common Sense Media says this, parents said this is appropriate, and then you can go, okay, well, the kids said this, but obviously they're going to go with, um, yeah, I'm nine, but this rated R movie was great. (laughs) But I've, I've let my son be exposed to some things that were maybe, you know, 14 plus, again, he's 11. And after reading the parent reviews, they're like, my 12-year-old handled this just fine. Mm-hmm. Or you might have to have this conversation going into it right. to let them know. So I did not know that existed. I love yeah. that. So again, commonsensemedia.org. Okay, I'm writing that down. And I, what you said about uh, ratings, age ratings, mm-hmm. have a cutoff for your family. You know, if, if your mm-hmm. kids are 
like mine, 13 and under, well, we're probably not going to watch much that's that's over that age range without talking about it, without doing a little research to find out if it's okay. Now, have, have my kids seen some movies that are probably, yeah, but we've been there with them and we've talked about right. you know the concerns that we had about them, so... Kind of going back to what you said about kids, if they focus on something, uh, in my days in the news business, we'll bring up weather. Weather can be terrifying for some people if they're scared of severe storms, even thunderstorms, tornadoes. But if the weather or the news, which I think is a very important thing to, to know what's going on in your community and also your country and the world, but that's just me. Um, how do you handle things like that if your kid is obsessed about a certain thing? Mm-hmm. So weather is a perfect example because lots and lots of kids are truly terrified of weather. And um, as we know, kids with anxiety are usually pretty smart and they know where to get information about the thing that they're scared of. And it, in, in like the, the brain says, the more you know, the better it's going to be. And that is true later. You know, kids who are afraid of weather that learn lots and lots of things about weather will probably, you know, be benefited by all that knowledge down the road. But when they're kids and they don't have that internal, you know, calm down stuff built into place yet, watching the weather can be very triggering. And Mm. so you can't just take it away because here's the thing. If you tell your child you cannot watch something, you cannot do this, whatever. They're going to do it. They're going to find a way to do it, right? They're somehow. So the best bet is to watch it with them, have a conversation with them, set limits on it. We're going to watch the weather for five minutes and then we're turning it off and we're only watching it once a day. Just kind of setting that limit, being present, talking them through it. There are kids, you know, who if they're so, so, so anxious and they're really escalated in that state every time they hear about weather, it might not be time to watch it. You might need Mm -hmm. to kind of limit it excessively for a while and then come back to it when they've built some skills. Um, but the, but the key is again, limits and being there to, to provide some support. You want them to know how to seek information and be safe because weather is one of those tricky fears. And I know we talked about this a little bit when we discuss phobias, um, mm-hmm. but weather is sometimes something to be afraid of. Like Absolutely. scary things can happen, you yeah. know, so it's not an unreasonable fear. What's unreasonable is when it's, you know, taking up time in your head on a beautiful sunny day. And right. so um, helping kids to figure out how to manage their exposure to, to that kind of thing is really, really important. And, and asking them questions like, hey, when you watch the weather, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. Does it make you feel anxious and worried? If so, is this the best way to use your time? Could we watch the weather for five minutes and then go do something else that makes you feel calm, right? So it's just, it's acknowledging it, setting some limits, supporting them, and then helping them identify a different activity. Okay, from a former broadcaster, if you're watching five minutes of weather, something has gone technically wrong with that newscast because the weather people get like two, two and a half if they're lucky. <laughs> okay, so I didn't know the technical side of things. So so we'll cut it down. 30 seconds of weather yeah. and then we move on. Go. But 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 the, you know, beyond weather, just talking about, you know, some kids really like to watch the news. They mm-hmm. love to watch this. Yeah. This is not just kids either. When the last election was going on, man, I had to tune into every possible speech or broadcast or whatever, and I found myself just like, you know, high blood pressure by the end of each day, you have to go, oh, wow, I do not need all of this information and and set limits. And so kids don't know how to do that. They don't recognize the impact it's having. So you just pause and help them identify, gosh, that's not feeling very good. What can we do instead? So your biggest advice um, for adults and also for children is just limit your exposure to Mm -hmm. everything you have going on. If you know something's going to be a trigger for your child, expose it to them with you by their side Mm-hmm. And ask questions, have conversations. And if yep. it gets too scary, obviously turn it off. Yep. And I, I like to follow it or pair it with something. So if something amps them up, follow it with something that brings them down. Okay. And so it might be, you know, we'll go back to the weather example. Like that one, we, We've really played that one out today. But 
watch the, the short little weather clip. Okay. Then we're going to go do some slow breathing to try to calm our bodies or mm -hmm. we're going to, you know, listen to a song that makes us feel calm or something, but you're going to, you're going to try to, you know, if you know, that's going to bring them up then do something to bring them down, okay. which takes me to a point that I wanted to make too. As adults, we need to do that same thing, right? Yeah. If I'm going to read the comments section <laughs> mm -hmm. under, under different Facebook posts, I need to follow that up with like, I don't know, <laughs> three hours in a hot tub and <laughs> massage. <laughs> three hours. Wow. It's, it gets, it gets me really wound up. Some of these comments, it's just, you know, but if you're going to consciously expose yourself to things that have that kind of an impact, you need to take care of yourself by, by kind of coming down and, and doing something that brings you down the other side and realizing, do you really need to read the comments? Does that make you feel better? <laughs> no. no, no, it does not. You could go the rest of your life, not read those comments and be just fine for That's it. Fine. You mentioned there, Nikki, about listening to a nice song music can do so much for your emotions i mean it can make you happy it can make you sad it can make you giddy what do we need to know about music that we consume because that's i don't know arguably but not so much anymore the one that you can take with you well, now you can take everything with you with ipads and phones and everything music is, is a constant it's been there for generations and i think it'll be here for a long time to come and we mentioned last time when we were talking about um music that teens tend to be able to connect to lyrics and, mm -hmm. and emotional concepts in music better than they can, you know, talking about their own experiences. And so um, it's very common to find a teen that's just loving, you know, a certain, oh, that's my song, turn it up, you know, and, and we might be listening going, gosh, that's a lot of noise. Like, I don't mm -hmm. hear that, but, but it's speaking to them. And so it, it, it's tough. I mean, I, I think the best thing you can do for your kids is, is expose them to lots of different types of music mm -hmm. and, and let them hear lots of different things. So maybe they're focused, maybe they really love, you know, rap or pop or whatever, but expose them to lots of different types of music and have them kind of notice how it impacts them. We had, I was in a class when I was a kid. I don't know if it was school, Sunday school. I don't know. A teacher had us listen to like a 30 second clip of some type of music. So there were different genres, you know, and we had to take our pulse after each one. Huh. And, and it was such a cool experience to, to realize that certain types of music would physically affect your body. And so I think that's a cool thing to do with teenagers, especially is have them listen to music that you like, have them listen to music that they like, have them listen to music they don't like and see how it affects them. Yeah. And then have their, their uh, smartwatch register their pulse rate. <laughs> that's right. Cause they're already connected yeah, to a, 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 a thing that will, yep, yep, yep. This also seems like a good place to plug our Music for the Mind segment that we have on our Facebook page, and that, again, is Scrambled Podcast. And every Sunday, we find a song that sometimes it relates to the topic that we just talked about or the topic that we will be talking about. And sometimes it's just a happy little song that we think could put you in a good mood. Um, there's been a couple of them that have posted that are about anxiety. And I, I am a big... 90s country music fan. That's my jam. And that's why I can't remember what I had for breakfast in the morning because I can remember every single lyric to just about every song uh, from 90s country. And I always said you can, you can make a country music song out of almost every different aspect of life. And so now there's songs, not even in the country genre, that are about anxiety and, and panic attacks and stuff. And I think it's great. We mentioned one that uh, my son brought to me and it's called Overwhelmed. And he's like, dad, listen to this. This is how I feel when I get anxious. And I listen to it and it's got a, it's a catchy little beat. I find myself humming it like my anxiety deeps inside of me. You know, it's just got a nice little <laughs> ring to it. So it's nice. I love that uh, it's just getting more 
pop culture that people are, are willing to talk about it and write music about it and just open conversations. I think that's great. I also, and this is so, you're, you're, Chad is going to roll his eyes I, I, right through the podcast. You're going to be able to hear him roll his eyes. <laughs> I would like to plug Daniel Tiger for just a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't. <laughs> no, no kids. problems with Daniel Tiger. Okay, okay, good. I, I was worried. I don't have little kids anymore. My my kids were kind of you know, beyond that when Daniel Tiger came out. But uh, younger children today have such a cool. You know, it's a it's an offshoot of Mister Rogers' Neighborhood right. and a Little Tiger. Daniel Tiger. He has a song for everything, and mm-hmm. kids respond to those songs and they'll sing them, and it can help them. You know, not be afraid. It can help them to use their manners. It can help them to learn to stop. It can, you know all these things. And so I just, Daniel Tiger has a song for everything. And so music is not only a way to, you know, connect and, and work through emotions and, and kind of experience things on a different level. It's also a way to kind of motivate and connect with toddlers. <laughs> so um, I, I think I remember hearing there was an app for Daniel Tiger songs where you huh. could just play the song. So I, I can't prove that. I If I find it, it is, we'll, we'll post it in the show notes. Okay. Or if not. Be helpful for parents of little ones. Make it happen. And then you can retire and have uh, vacations you can post on Facebook. That's right. And other people can follow my vacation <laughs> posts instead of the other way around. All right. Well, we are also online at the scrambled podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email and you can find our website at scrambledpodcast.com. We mentioned Facebook. We're also on Instagram. Our next episode, number 13, we're going to talk about, oh, lucky number 13, my favorite number. So maybe this will be my favorite episode. It is about advocating for your child your anxious child, but not look like you're constantly making excuses. And we've talked about a little of this in past episodes, Nikki, where it's like, you you know, you are your child's champion. You're their, you're their number one voice. Um, but sometimes you get so defeated because you're like, Ugh, I got to tell somebody else what we're going through, what he's going through, what she's going through. If he does this, she does this. It means that. So sometimes it feels like you're just making excuses for quote unquote bad behavior. So we're going to kind of dissect that and welcome a special guest my lovely wife is going to join us to talk about that because she's a big um, advocate for both of our children, but my son with anxiety, especially. All right. I'm looking forward to that for sure. We want to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you. 